Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Port St. Lucie. Let's join Lead Pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, The Price of Freedom. All right. Well, as Christians who love our nation, we've witnessed over the years a lot of court decisions that have absolutely broken our hearts. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that later on in the message. But in spite of these many decisions that have broken our hearts as people who know and love God and people who love our nation, in spite of all these unfortunate decisions, I still believe that we live in a great nation. And so there's a lot of reasons why America's great. But again, I believe that the greatest quality of America is that Simply, its citizens are free. We are a free people. I shared this with you guys a couple years ago, and the story bears repeating on this occasion. But when my oldest daughter, Megan, graduated from high school, uh, we promised her a senior trip. We did that for all three of our daughters. All three of our daughters chose different cities for whatever reason. We always allowed them to bring their best friend with them. And so when Megan um, graduated from high school, we took her and her, her best friend by the way, who led you in worship, Kim Brown, we all went, Stacy and I and Megan and Kim, to New York City. And while we were there, we just had an incredible time. We got to see a show on Broadway. We got to take pictures on the Brooklyn Bridge. I acted like I ran across the whole thing, right? And so I was jogging at the very end. I actually jogged about three feet, but they got my picture. And so everybody thinks that I, I ran the Brooklyn Bridge. I have to confess, I didn't. Okay, we climbed the Empire State Building. We had such a blessing. We were walking around Central Park and we saw a sign that the New York Philharmonic was gonna have a concert in a few hours. And so we got to camp out right there in Central Park, join over 100,000 people, totally did not even know about this. We got to hear a free concert. We got to watch fireworks afterwards. It was an awesome, awesome time. Of course, one of the most memorable things that we did is we went down to ground zero. We were reminded of the tragedy of 9-11. We remembered the fallen heroes who gave their lives to save people on that day. But my favorite part of the trip is when we went down to lower Manhattan, caught a ferry from Battery Park, and we went over to Liberty Island to see the Statue of Liberty. And so while we were on the ferry and as we were approaching the Statue of Liberty, I looked up, and this was the first time I had ever seen it, and I was just overwhelmed by how large she is, the Statue of Liberty, as, as she towers over the New York Harbor. And I'm reminded that for many decades, the Statue of Liberty was the symbol of freedom for millions of people who immigrated to the United States. And if you ever go to Liberty Island, you got to jump on the ferry again and go over to Ellis Island. And so Ellis Island, you can have a whole historical tour, and here's what you'll find out. That from 1892 until 1954, it's a period of 62 years, that during that time, over 12 million people came from all over the world and immigrated to the United States of America through Ellis Island. Over 12 million in just 62 years. And so why did so many people come to our country? Why did they leave their country, jump on boats at risking their lives and come over here? And so one of the reasons is simply this, because they wanted a new life. 
They wanted to start over in a place where they could actually be free. So why is America great? And this is what I encourage you moms and dads to do. Make sure your young people know. Make sure the, the next generation studies world history. Make sure they read world history. Because when you educate yourself and when you read through world history, here's what you find out. That not millions, but with a B, billions of people throughout history have lived under political tyrants who have denied them of their basic freedoms. Billions of people have lived under tyrannical governments that have denied them the right to assemble for worship. What we're doing right here, right now, has been and continues to be illegal in many countries around the world. The right to assemble to worship, the right to speak your mind, the right to vote for your leader, the right to receive a fair trial, the right to travel to other countries. Billions of people have been raised in Governments that are oppressive that have denied them of those basic rights. And you say, well, yeah, that's back in history. It's not like that today. Excuse me? <laughs> it's absolutely still like that today. Freedom House Magazine reports, and I quote, more, listen to this, more than 1.6 billion people, that's 23% of the world's population, have no say in how they are governed, and they face severe consequences if they try to exercise their most basic rights, such as expressing their views, assembling peacefully, organizing independently of the state. It goes on to say that citizens who dare to assert their rights in these repressive countries typically suffer harassment, imprisonment, and they're often subjected to physical and psychological abuse. In these countries, state control over public life is pervasive and individuals have little of any recourse to justice for crimes the state commits against them. That's 1.6 million people today. That's 23% of the world's population today. A tragic story that hits home for many Christians is the story of Pastor Saeed Abedini. Saeed is an American citizen. He's one of us. He's Iranian, and he's also a Calvary Chapel pastor, and he's also in prison right now in Iran. What was his crime? His crime was meeting privately in homes with other Christians in Iran. His crime, according to the court, is that he undermined the, the national security of Iran by meeting with these Christians in private homes. I guess when you live openly for the Lord and tell other people about him, you're a threat to a lot of governments. What was Saeed doing when he was arrested? He was building an orphanage in Iran. Can you imagine? Here you have a Calvary Chapel pastor, he's building an orphanage. His desire is simply to share with fellow Iranians the love of Jesus that he has experienced. He's not only talking the talk, he's walking the walk. He's using his hands. He's building an orphanage. And they came and they arrested him and they sentenced him to eight years in prison. That was over a thousand days ago. Since that time, he's been beaten and tortured for his faith. And they've told him time and time again, Saeed, all you have to do to be free, we'll let you out today, but all you gotta do is convert back to Islam. 
And if you know anything about any Calvary Chapel pastor, they'd rather die in prison than renounce Christ and turn back to a false religion. So he remains in prison. He continues to get beaten and tortured for his faith. His mom gets to come see him and talk to him through an open window there at his prison cell. Pray for Saeed. Pray for his wife, Nagmeh. Pray for their two small children. Can you imagine moms being um, and wives being away from your husband for over a thousand days and you don't know what in the world's happening to him while he's in prison in a, an oppressive government system. And there you have your two children and you're raising them without their dad. This family needs our prayers. This is one of us. So pray because the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So Google Saeed sometime and you can learn more about his story. But in America, as I said before, hey, we're far from perfect. No one's claiming to have a perfect country. No, we're not perfect, but at least we're free. At least we can still publicly assemble uh, for worship here in, in this building and in other buildings all across our land. At least we can privately meet in homes and life groups during the week without um, a government being threatened that we're undermining the national security because we meet privately and talk about Jesus. At least we can build orphanages in America without the threat of being arrested. And so, no, we're not perfect, but we should get on our knees and we should thank God for our country. We should thank God for our republic. We should thank God for our constitution. We should thank God for the Bill of Rights. Absolutely. We should thank God for the First Amendment to our constitution, which gives people like you and I the freedom of religion the freedom of speech, the freedom of the press, the freedom of assembly, the freedom uh, to petition peacefully. We have these freedoms all in the First Amendment and, and, and it's, it's a gift from God to us. Not only that, we have the freedom to live wherever we wanna live in our country. We have the freedom to travel wherever we wanna travel without having to show our papers at every state line. We have the freedom to vote for whoever um, we believe should represent us in Washington. And by the way, Christian, if you're not voting, you need to start voting. And I hear Christians today, even just two weeks ago, saying Christians should not be involved in the political process because Jesus and his disciples were not involved in the political process. And I think, are you kidding me? You know, I'm at the gym and I'm doing the elliptical and I'm listening to this nonsense and I, I, I begin to get so upset when I hear things like that. You're gonna compare Rome with America? In Rome, they lived under a tyrant. His name was Nero. They had no rights. Of course, they didn't get involved in the political process. There was no process to get involved in. But in America, we've been given a gift. It's called a republic where we can actually vote and actually have a say in who represents us in Washington. And so use that gift, use that opportunity. So before you become too critical of the nation that you live in, maybe you should stop and remind yourself that you could have been born in Iran. You could have been born in Yemen you could have been born in Saudi Arabia. You could have been born in an, in an Islamic state where Sharia law reigns over everybody, 
where women are publicly beaten in the streets by men if they take out a part of their outer garment, exposed part of their body, they're beaten in the streets. You could have been born in a place where you are under Sharia law, where every part of your life is regulated by strict Islamic rules. And I hear people say, I hate America. And they live in America. Well, here's what we should do with people like that. We should load them up on an Air Force cargo plane. That's the first thing. Then we should give them each a parachute. That's the second thing. Then we should fly them over the Middle East. That's the third thing. And then we should drop them in the heart of Yemen and say, see you later. We'll come back for you in a year. And in a year, we're going to see if you still hate America or not. No, I don't hate America. I love America. I say, God bless America. Folks, I understand the courts have made a lot of decisions that we who hold traditional Judeo-Christian values do not agree with. I understand that, and I understand that's upsetting. I had one lady last week at the Welcome Center, an African-American lady who stood there, and she was literally weeping over the Supreme Court decision to legalize same-sex marriages. And you know what the thought I had when I saw that African-American woman weeping? I thought, that shows you right there, it's not a civil rights issue. We're not talking about civil rights in the 50s and 60s. Because people will like to say that Christians are like Jim Crow's of the 50s and 60s who would persecute African American people. No, it has nothing to do with that at all. Was America in the South wrong in the 50s and 60s? Absolutely, undeniably pervasively, incredibly wrong. And thank God, God for men like Martin Luther King Jr. who stood up and others like him who stood up and who, got, who rectified the wrong. Thank God for that. But you cannot put this issue on the same level as that issue. We're talking about morals here. We're talking about God's law, the creator, the one who has the right to be the boss. We're talking about his word. And so we have so many, and I understand, you know, the courts have made these different decisions and we're upset. I, I get all that, right? But we still have a lot of freedoms we can thank God for. We don't have to be half glass empty people. We can be half glass full people and we can continue to thank God for, again, things like, and I say this again for young people, because I want, I have a burden this morning for young people, for teenagers, for children, who take maybe their freedoms for granted and they don't understand what it means to have freedom of religion in this country or the freedom of speech or the freedom of the press or the freedom of assembly or the freedom to petition. They don't really understand that. And so we have so many freedoms we should thank God for, but we can never, ever, ever, ever forget this, that freedom is not free. It came at a great price. What was the price? What was the price of the freedom that we enjoy today? It's shed blood. Blood was shed. Excuse me. I get emotional because I just buried my dad in Arlington Cemetery two months ago, and I had the privilege of standing in Arlington Cemetery, 
that hallowed ground surrounded by so many different tombstones of brave men and women, brave Americans who died so we could enjoy what we enjoy today. That's the price for your freedom. It's shed blood. That's the message that we've got to pass on to the next generation, to our kids. Otherwise, ladies and gentlemen, we will raise a generation of ungrateful, spoiled brats who take all this in America for granted if we don't teach them. We must teach them. We must teach them that blood was shed. So tell your kids about the 4,435 patriots who died in battle fighting for our independence against an oppressive government across the Atlantic. Tell your kids about the 140,414 Union soldiers who died in battle during the Civil War fighting against the evils of slavery. Tell your kids about the 53,402 who died in battle in World War I. Tell them about the greatest generation, the 291,557 who died in battle in World War II. And by the way, we have a World War II vet sitting in the back who was at Iwo Jima. And I'm gonna ask you, sir, just stand up so we can thank you and applaud you for your service to your country. God bless you. God bless you. Come on, church, let's show our thankfulness for the price that's been paid. Tell your kids about the tens of thousands of brave American men and women who've died since World War II in places like Korea, Vietnam, Persian Gulf, Iraq, Afghanistan, Pakistan. Tell your kids, listen, they're not being taught. Tell your kids about the men and women since 9-11 who've died in the war on terror, fighting against Muslim jihadists that hate America and hate everything that our country stands for. Tell your kids that right today someone's gonna die somewhere in the world so that we can be free. And so to all, all, everybody who's given their lives so that we can be free and to their loved ones, we say thank you. And one more time, we should just put our hands together and just thank God for these people. We thank God that we're free, but I gotta shift gears because I am a pastor and I am concerned. We thank God that we're free, but how long will our freedom last if we continue to turn our backs on God? Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34 says, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. Any people. Americans, non-Americans, sin is a disgrace. But righteousness will exalt a nation. Why do you think our country has been so amazingly blessed for 239 years? There's lots of reasons. 
One of the main reasons is because our founding fathers built this nation on traditional Judeo-Christian values. And we can't let people rewrite history and say that's not true. It's absolutely true. Another reason I believe, my own personal conviction, that we're amazingly blessed is because our country has been the greatest ally of Israel since they became a nation in 1948. God promised way back in his word, and how many of you guys know God is a promise keeper, not a promise breaker? And God said to Abraham and his descendants through Isaac and Jacob, they're called the Jews. God said, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And our nation has stood behind Israel since they became a nation in 1948, though right now, because of a certain somebody in the White House, our relationship with Israel is at the worst it's ever been since 1948. We should be careful. We should really be trembling a little bit right now. We've got to stand behind Israel. And so righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. And I personally believe that our founding fathers, they would be shocked if they could have known what in the world was going to happen to the country that they risked their lives for. If they could have known what was going to happen in 239 years, if they could have known of the rapid moral decline of America, I think they would have been in shock. You see, our country went in 1976 from a God-fearing country, and I'm not saying all the founding fathers were Christians, a lot of them were deists, I get that. But our country went from a God-fearing country to where we are now, we are absolutely a postmodern, post-Christian, secular, humanistic, godless country. We've turned our backs on God, we've become a disgrace, this drift greatly accelerated the 1960s until today. Consider these very sad dates. 1962, prayer was banned in our public schools. 1963, Bible reading was banned in our public schools. 1973, abortion was legalized. I read just this week that since 1973, Roe v. Wade, that Americans have murdered, and yes, I said it right, over 57 million babies. And if you're here today and you had an abortion and you're feeling guilt, here's what I need to tell you. Quick side note, not in the notes that God loves you and he'll forgive any sin, any sin under heaven. He will absolutely forgive with the blood of Jesus Christ if you'll just turn to him in repentance and faith. He'll love you like a father loves his child no matter what you've done. 1980, the 10 commandments were removed from the bulletin boards of our public schools. 1987, the Supreme Court ruled that we could no longer teach creation side by side with evolution. When I was in school, they taught creation and evolution together. But in 1987, um, the Supreme Court, acting like the supreme being, again, decided, no, in public schools, you can't teach creation at all. How many of you guys believe that Calvary Port St. Lucie should really start a private Christian school? Wouldn't that be awesome? 
Wouldn't it be awesome if we could uh, start a school, right, and give kids a great education and not, um, not shilly-shally on high academics, but also along with that, give them a solid biblical worldview so that these little kids grow up and they view the world through the lens of the scriptures. Pray about that. But from around 1960 to 1990, when all those decisions were made that I talked about, did you know that in our country, violent crime rose 500%? Divorce rose 200%. Teen pregnancy rose 200%. Teen suicide rose 300%. And abortion rose 1,000%. Ladies and gentlemen, things are not getting better and better. They're getting worse and worse. And you add all to the sad date of June 26, 2015, when the Supreme Court ruled in favor of same-sex marriages in all 50 states, when they decided to redefine what God has already defined in his word, what what people for thousands of years have been living by the same standard of marriage, but now all of a sudden in our generation, in our country, we've decided that no, we don't want to listen to what God has to say, we're going to redefine it. You look at all these decisions and you have to ask yourself, how long until judgment comes to our country? And again, if you're here today and you have same-sex attraction, if you're here today and you struggle with that issue in your life, here's what you need to know. God has a Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, And if you'll turn from your own way and turn to Jesus in repentance and faith, he will give you his Holy Spirit who has the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And he will give you the power to change those feelings and to change that lifestyle into a lifestyle that pleases him. Absolutely, he'll do that because he loves you. And so... How long until judgment comes? I love what Greg Laurie says in his book, Hope for America. He said, America, like every other nation, has its days numbered. No country lasts forever. Rome was once the reigning superpower on the face of the earth with the most powerful military the world had ever seen. Rome was eventually conquered. But before she collapsed externally, she collapsed internally. And I believe that's exactly what's happening in our country today. We are just like ancient Rome. We are collapsing internally. Now, for Christians, all this is bad news, so we have to keep reminding ourselves of the good news, okay? What's the good news? As I said last week, the good news is that while everything is falling apart In our country, we have to remind ourselves that everything is actually coming together for the soon return of Jesus Christ, our King. He's coming back. He's coming back. The Bible teaches things will get worse and worse, and then sudden destruction is going to come. Please look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter five, Paul says in verse one, but concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. 
For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes. Notice that, so comes. In other words, it's going to come as a thief in the night. For when, what's the word there? They, right? For when they say, he's talking about the world, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. By the way, when the future one world political ruler, known in the Bible as the Antichrist, when he first comes on the scene, he will definitely come as a peacemaker. He will achieve global peace for a short period of time. So when they say peace and safety, sudden destruction will come upon them. Look at verse 4. He says, but, what's the next word? You. Okay, that's the church. We're different. We're not the they. In verse 3, we're the you. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. And so as the world is enjoying this false sense of global peace and global safety, the word of God says that sudden destruction is going to come upon them, upon the world. We know as we study other places, Daniel 9, Matthew 24, uh, the book of Revelation, we know that this is a seven-year tribulation period that's coming to the planet. And so the good news for the true church, and I just want to emphasize true church, because not everybody who says they're a Christian is really a Christian, and not every church that says they're a church is really a church. And so the good news for the true church is that we're not the they, we are the you, and look at verse 9 in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, for God did not appoint us, the church, the true church, to wrath, but to obtain, what's the word? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's been my personal conviction now for probably 30 or more years that we as the true church will not be present when God pours out his wrath during that tribulational period. You say, where's that at? Look at 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16, 17, and 18. Right before he talks about the tribulation, back up, look at chapter 4, verse 16. Here's what's going to happen to us. He says, for the, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So all the people who've died in Christ in faith, they're going to rise first from the graves. And I love verse 17. Then, what's the word? There's the true church. And if we're alive when this happens, this, we're going to experience verse 17. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. In the Greek, it's harpazo. In the Latin Vulgate, it's rapturo, from where we get our English word, rapture, right there in your Bible in black and white. We're going to be caught up together with them, that's the dead in Christ, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord, therefore comfort one another with these words. And so we have good news. Even though things are falling apart all around us, Things are actually coming together, and because we're the bride of Christ, we're not going to experience God's wrath. I've told you this before, but God already poured out his wrath 
for our sins on his son at Calvary. He doesn't judge sin twice. And so we're his bride. How many of you guys really want to pour out wrath on your bride? Or maybe I shouldn't ask that. Maybe, uh, I don't know. You shouldn't, right? You shouldn't be pouring out wrath on your bride, right? That's your bride. And so we will be taken up and the wrath will absolutely come down. Now, as I said before, I love America. And I believe that Christians should absolutely be involved in voting and the political process. I believe we should absolutely be involved in running for office and be salt and light in the world. But on the other hand, I understand that this world is not our home. We're just a passing through. And one day, as Pastor Greg Laurie said, the end will come, not just for other countries, but for America as well. And so as that day approaches, and no one knows the day or the hour, and I certainly will never predict the day or the hour or even the year, anybody who does that and puts it on billboards across all the interstates in America and is, is wrong, don't do that. We don't know the day or the hour. But as that day approaches, here's what we as Christians need to do. Look at Colossians. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. When Christ, who is our life, appears, I love it, here's the rapture right here, then you also will appear with him in glory. And so this life in America, hey, we thank God as America, Americans for our freedoms, but this life's a vapor. You're here today, you're gone tomorrow. I heard just again between services of somebody uh, who passed away unexpectedly and left a wife and kids. That person did not know when they woke up on that morning that they were gonna be facing eternity that day. But it happens to all of us. And so what we have to do is train ourselves to not think on things on the earth, but to think on things above. And so that's what we're gonna do for the rest of this message. We're gonna think on the things of heaven. Now, have you ever thought about what's gonna happen right after the rapture? If, let's say, we're that generation that's gonna be alive and remain when the trumpet sounds. Okay, so we're taken up to be with the Lord, and then what's gonna happen right after that? Well, Revelation chapter five tells us. So go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter five. Now, as you're turning to Revelation five, some people say the book of Revelation is hard to understand, and, and I get that. I get that, but it's easier than you think. Now, Quick outline, in Revelation chapter one, the resurrected Christ, he reveals himself to the apostle John on the island of Patmos, and he gives them him the apocalypse or the book of Revelation. That's Revelation chapter one. In Revelations chapter two and three, it's the seven letters from Christ to the seven churches. Then in chapter four and five, it's a scene of what's going on in heaven and that takes place before the tribulation because in chapter 6 all the way through 19, you have the tribulation um, occurring as all hell breaks loose on the earth. So what I want to do is I want to show you real quick at chapter 4, verse 1, after the seven letters to the seven churches, and so many scholars believe after the church age, 
It says in chapter four, verse one, after these things, I looked and behold, a door standing opened in heaven. And the first voice, which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here. Everybody say, come up here. Go ahead. Come up here. And I will show you things which must take place after this. Again, scholars believe after the church age. And so here you have John in verse two, immediately in the spirit, he's caught up into heaven and he's there in the throne room of God. And he sees God sitting on his throne. Okay, so what happened? He was caught up. Okay, a lot of Bible scholars believe that's a picture of the rapture. And then what you have in chapter four and five, again, is a scene of what's taking place in heaven. So let's take a sneak peek of what's gonna happen after the rapture. Look at chapter five, verse one. John says, and I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, that's the father, a scroll written inside and on the back, and it was sealed with seven seals. So God the Father in heaven, sitting on his throne, has a scroll. What's the scroll? Well, we'll define it for you on your screen. The scroll John saw in God's hand is the title deed of the earth. You gotta get that. For the rest of the sermon to make sense, you gotta get the scroll, title deed of the earth, which he will give to Christ and it tells how Christ will redeem the world from the usurper, Satan. Of course, it's a quote from Dr. John MacArthur there, but there's thousands and thousands and thousands of Bible scholars that agree with that. Okay, so the scroll is the title deed of the earth. Here's some Bible 101 here. When God created Adam and Eve, what did he tell them to do? He says, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. So what did God tell them to do? He wants, them, he wants to give them um, dominance over the earth. He wants him, them to subdue it. God, in essence, is giving Adam the title deed of the earth. But then when Adam disobeyed God and ate the forbidden fruit, now all of a sudden, the whole creation falls, the fall of man, and now guess who has dominion in the world? Satan, Lucifer. The Apostle John says, the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Paul says that Lucifer is the prince of the power of the air. Even Jesus, speaking about Lucifer, said, and I quote, he's the ruler of this world. See, we gotta get our eyes off this world and get our eyes on heaven. Because right now, the one who's dominating the world, according to the Holy Scriptures, is Lucifer, the prince of the power of the air. And if you forgot that, if you forgot that Satan has dominion over the earth, just watch the news tonight, and you'll be reminded. So lots of bad news, right? But I love Revelation chapter 5, because now we're introduced to the good news. Look at chapter 5, verse 2. Then John says, I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look at it. So nobody was worthy to open the title deed of the earth. 
And so John says in verse 4, I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or even to look at it. So here, again, what's going on in heaven is you have an angel, and the angel says with a loud voice, who's worthy to loose the seals and open the title deed of the earth? Now, what are the seals? Again, defined for you, the seals are judgments that will be unleashed on the earth during the tribulation period. When you start reading in chapter 6, you don't have to turn there now, but the first seal is the false Christ, it's the Antichrist. The second seal is global warfare. The third seal is global famine. The fourth seal is global death. The fifth seal is the martyred remnant. The sixth seal is anarchy. And then you have the seventh seal later on in chapter 8. And that um, is seven trumpets, which are seven more judgments that have come upon the earth. And then after that, as you continue to read chapter 6 through 19, the tribulation period in the book of Revelation, you find out that the seven seals and the seven trumpets are followed by seven bowls. So in the tribulation period, which is coming upon this world, judgment is poured out. The seals are open. And why is the judgment poured out upon the earth? Here's why. If you're with me, please say amen. amen. It's to evict those who have rejected God. That's why. God is going to send judgment upon the world, whether we like it or not, whether that sits well with us or not, he's gonna do this. And some people, do you know what they do? This is uncomfortable for them. And they say, well, I don't believe the Bible then. Well, guess what? The Bible's true whether you believe it or not. If the hundreds and hundreds of, of prophecies that, that said that Christ is gonna come the first time, if all those were fulfilled then you better believe that all the prophecies about a second coming will be fulfilled, right? Absolutely. And so judgment is coming to this world. Seals, trumpets, and bowls, it's, it's absolutely coming. And it's coming to evict people from the world. And somebody says, I don't like that. That, that, that makes God out to be like this big cosmic bully. Well, well guess what? If you were a landlord and you owned an apartment complex and you leased an apartment to, to somebody who had wild parties until two or three o'clock in the morning, playing his loud music till two or three o'clock in the morning, disturbing all the neighbors, you have all the neighbors calling you all the time. And not only that, but the guy is trashing your apartment. And not only that, he's not paying rent. What would you do to that guy? Oh, Pastor Mike, I'm just a loving person. I would let him stay right there. No, you wouldn't. You would kick him out to the curb. Ladies and gentlemen, what we don't understand because we so emphasize God's love and we never emphasize his holiness is that God is a holy God. And this is his planet, right? And even though a usurper has come named Lucifer and has taken temporary control of the planet, God is still going to come back and take back what is his. And he's going to do it through a tribulation period. And so it's to evict the rebels from the earth. The angel said, who's worthy to open the seals? Who's worthy to send the judgments which will usher in God's kingdom? And check it out. Everybody was silent. Who's worthy? Everybody's kind of looking at their feet. You know why? Nobody's worthy. 
And John begins to weep. In the Greek, he's convulsing. Why? Because he's thinking there's no hope for earth. He's thinking sin's going to abound more and more. He's thinking that human depravity and darkness and disease and death is going to continue and go on unchecked for all eternity. Now, how many of you guys really believe that the condition of this earth and all the human depravity and death and sin is going to continue on indefinitely? Do you really believe that? No. At some point, God's coming back to fix what's gone wrong. And so John begins to weep. And I I love what happens now in verse 5. An elder says, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, (laughs) the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Oh man, this is such good news. In heaven someday, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, in other words, the son of David, while John is weeping, while everybody's looking at their feet because nobody's worthy, somebody's going to stand up and somebody is going to walk over to take the title deed, somebody who is absolutely worthy. Look at verse six. It says, and I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne and, I'm, and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a who? A lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns. Seven is the number of perfection. Horns, the symbol of power. Jesus, the lamb, is omnipotent. He's not an angel. He's not a created angel. Jehovah Witnesses are wrong. The Mormons are wrong. He has the attributes of deity. He is perfect in power and seven eyes. I speak of wisdom, omniscience. That's another attribute of God. The Lamb is omniscient, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Jesus is not just the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He's also the the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Right? And John says, I saw a lamb as if he had been slain. What does that mean? That means when you and I go home to heaven and we see Jesus, we're going to see the scars in his hands. We're going to see the scar in his side. We're going to see the nail prints in his feet. And it's going to remind you on that day that your salvation, your freedom was paid for by blood. The blood of Jesus Christ. And so now in verse 7, he comes to the throne. He came and he took the scroll, the title deed of the earth, out of the right hand of the Father who sat on the throne. And so that leads you to your next point if you're taking notes, and that is that Christ will take the title deed of the earth from the Father, and that's going to lead to a party in heaven. Everybody's going to go nuts in heaven. Look at verses 8 through 12. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. By the way, if Jesus was not God, these guys should not be worshiping him in heaven. Because the first commandment is you shall have no other gods before me. But he is God. The lamb is God. And that's why the elders are falling down before the lamb. And that's why you and I should worship him with everything we got every Sunday morning during our time of worship each having a harp 
and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed who? To God by your blood of every tribe, tongue, and people, and nation. By the way, quick side note, who's the only group on earth that's been redeemed to God by the blood of Jesus from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation? Who's the only group? They're called the church. And the church is in heaven before the tribulation starts in Revelation chapter 6. We're home, people. We're safe. We're with this party going on. He says in verse 10, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the what? On the earth. We're in heaven. How's that going to work out? I'll show you at the end of the message. We're almost there. Verse 11, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Aren't you glad? Lots of people are getting saved by the blood of the lamb and all the angels in heaven, and we're all partying and we're all worshiping the Lord. And it says in verse 12, that here's what we're gonna sing and say, Worthy is the lamb. Let's all say it together. You ready? One, two, three. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Worthy is Jesus the lamb. Do you guys believe he's worthy, right? You believe he's worthy. And so we're going to skip the next three verses because we're almost out of time, but in verse 10, it says we're going to reign with him on earth. Here's how we're going to finish the message. I'm going to show you how that's going to happen. Turn, please, to Revelation 19. We're in heaven. We're at the party. At some point, we'll go through the judgment seat of the Lamb. I mean, the, the, yeah, the, the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat. But at some point, something else is going to happen, starting in Revelation 19, verse 11. It says, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. By the way, he's not stopping in the clouds to take the church up. He's coming all the way down to the earth. Verse 12, his eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Pastor Mike, we're in heaven worshiping the Lamb, but we're going to reign on earth. How's that going to happen? How are we going to get back down to the earth? You just read it in verse 14. You're part of the armies of heaven. You're in fine linen. You're in white. You're cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, and you're following him back down to the earth because as the son of David, he has to come back and he has to reign. You say, am I going to have to fight? Um, nope. <laughs> Verse 15, now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he should strike the nations. He's evicting them, folks. 
because this planet belongs to him. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written. Go ahead and finish it out. King of kings. Lord of lords. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. We're here for a little while. What we've read about in the second half of this sermon goes on forever and ever. The question is, are you ready? Are you ready? Because the next event on God's calendar is the imminent rapture of the church of Jesus Christ. Are you ready for that? Or are you still in your sins? Will you be left behind to endure a tribulation where sudden destruction comes upon this world? One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at www.calvarypsl.com and click on Knowing Christ.